Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another of DMN's one-on-one podcasts. This time, my guest is Daniel Newman, who's founding partner and principal analyst at Futurum Research. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show, Kim. It's a pleasure. What we're here to talk about is a recent report, which you produced in partnership with SAS, which is called Experience 2030, The Future of Customer Experience is Now. And I I gather that was based on some 4,000 touch points with consumers, executives, marketers, and technical, technology, technology, I'm sorry, professionals. Does that sound right? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. It was a huge undertaking, uh, global uh, implications, uh, wanted to talk to both consumers and brands, and it was one of the largest undertakings we've ever done. And, and even for SAS, it was a, a really big piece of research that's uh, going to be part of the company's platform going forward to market uh, over the next several years. And what we really set out to do, Kim, was say, hey, can we get a glimpse into the future uh, today by better understanding the trends and the way consumers are utilizing technology and the way brands think consumers want to utilize technology uh, and drive world-class experiences. That's great. And there's an awful lot of data in the report. There's a lot of detail there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link with this podcast when we publish it. So anyone listening in, if you want to really dig down into the detail, you can uh, download the report. But what I wanted to do, Daniel, was ask you about some of the general themes which emerge. I think a good place to start is a very basic question. Everyone's talking about customer experience these days. What does it mean to you? Well, for me personally, customer experience is one of the primary drivers of this macro trend, digital transformation. I always break it down into buckets of driving revenue, uh, increasing profit, uh, improving employee satisfaction. But at the very tip of that spear is always about customer experience. It's investing in technology to make uh, every touch point a little bit better. And we've seen it disrupt industries from the way we hail a cab with an Uber or a Lyft to the way we procure coffee to the recommendation engines that are going to help us shop for the holidays this year. Uh, customer experience has really become a primary focus of organizations that want to not only be successful today, but that really are looking to be mainstays of the rapid iteration and innovation that is going to drive the consumer experience of, of tomorrow. Now, you you refer to some examples there which are in the B2C space, but one thing I've noticed over the last year or 18 months is more and more talk about customer experience for B2B buyers as well. Is that something uh, that you focused on in the report, or is it more weighted to B2C? No, I mean, we we did talk to consumers, but the interesting thing is, uh, and you've probably heard this before, but there's some different nomenclatures that have come into market, b 2 uh, B to C to B, B to B to C. Also, you've heard P to P, maybe person to person, peer to peer, H to H, human to human has come out. And I think a lot of what the findings of the report is uh, talks to meaningful uh, go to market strategies that are going to actually supersede those traditional B to B and B to C because everybody is a consumer. So a great example I'll give of this, Kim, is we, we've built technology that can understand our favorite uh, drink at Starbucks, right, and can uh, help us build stronger relationships in our community with the people that we 
uh, buy coffee from every day, right? You walk into the store, that your drink is ready. If you go regularly enough, they may even know your name. Um, you're building loyalty rewards. Uh, it knows where you are in location. The same type of data can be utilized in, in B2B environments. It can be used to make sure everything from those signature moments of knowing that you're one of your best customers having a birthday or celebrating an anniversary to much more specific um, transactions like helping people through a deeply integrated report that helps uh, optimize inventory or improve um, time to market through ERP, CRM, and analytics tools. So while I would say yes, uh, some of the cool and fun narratives around customer experience tend to be consumer-driven, I actually think that these great consumer experiences are these consumerized experiences are being filtered back into B2B where people expect data and analytics and applications that improve the way we engage with other businesses, just like these applications have improved the way we engage as consumers with brands. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So let's dive into the five key themes and ask you to comment on each of them. The first one, smart technology, and I will give some numbers here because it didn't surprise me that you found 36% of respondents have three or more mobile devices, but what really jumped out at me was 34% actually have two two or more smart assistants in their home. So uh, talk about this, uh, this situation in which we both embrace smart technology, but we also have a few qualms about it and uh, a little bit of distrust as well. Well, we're buying into it. And it was interesting. I don't know if you saw there was a New York Times piece that came out about, like, surveillance it just, just a few days this week. And it talked about how – it was talking a lot about how many apps know where we are and how basically – uh, the question is, do people understand the implications? And so right now, everything's about trade-offs of data experience. So to get the, the optimized experience, you have to trade data. Um, but however, what does that mean? And when you talk, asked about the duality, so really quickly, uh, customers are buying in on this. Our phones are, are the richest source of data on the planet. You can even see campaigns from companies like Apple where they're focused in on security. We'll talk more about privacy later, but just about how the phone knows more about us than anybody in our lives at this point. It's just that it actually become true. Um, the fact that there are multiple mobile devices, multiple smart devices, it has become pretty ubiquitous. So people want that experience. They want to be able to say, hey, uh, Alexa, play my favorite song. Or, hey, Siri, you know, help get to the local uh, Dunkin' Donuts, right? These are those simple, natural interactions with humans and machines that are, that are moving us into the future and creating these better experiences. But concurrently, um, there is still some inherent distrust. Uh, it's very intrusive. So people, you, you sometimes see the posts about, that's kind of creepy. I was just talking to my friend about wanting to take a vacation, and then all of a sudden a Facebook ad pops up to this location. But I wasn't on Facebook, and I didn't type anything about it. How does that happen? So there's still a lot of this sort of conspiracy theory, Kim, going on that people aren't quite sure what's being collected, how much are they being listened to, uh, what is being uh, recorded and not recorded. And there's even a lot of uh, inflection and influx about how true most of that is. It's become pretty dependent on each individual company that's doing all this data collection, machine learning, processing, and utilization to report what's going on. Um, and so I think consumers are still in this little bit of a state, like I want this world-class experience, but I'm not sure if I'm giving up too much to get it. 
but I'm probably going to keep doing it anyway because it's not quite clear to me if it's it, – I don't want it to get worse. So, you know, I, I feel like people complain, but that's kind of like the the world of digital outrage, but concurrently they're complaining on the device while they share more data. So I think as a whole, the duality is people will always trade data for great experiences, um, and sometimes they'll trade data for even average ones. Okay, that, that leads nicely into the next question about great experiences, because you also talk about immersive technology. And from my point of view, that relates to experiential marketing, which is a, a growing space. And this is where a brand doesn't simply deliver an experience to a consumer, but the consumer becomes part of a kind of an overall brand experience. And this also seems to me to relate to the the way in which the offline world is being increasingly digitized. I, I've come across, I mean, recently we covered um, a complete experience which was being designed by a major technology vendor around their New York office space. So talk about what you're seeing in the immersive technology space. Well, I think from a data standpoint, customers are expecting to see more immersion. So 61% of our consumers said they had not invested in AR and VR, for instance, being one of the more immersive technologies. But the majority of them, 60%, expect within the next five years that that, that will be part of their everyday life. Um, we've seen it slowly infiltrate in ways that people don't expect, whether that's the, you know, pop-up display on your dash that you can see right in the window, that is more immersive. Uh, you know, Pokemon Go, a, a, a vehicle that brought people in and out of stores and had people chasing coins around the world was an immersive experience that people are starting to, to see what it can look like. But these are sort of the, those are sort of the, the catchy, trendy ones. The ones that really have caught my eye are the ones that are a little bit more um, subtly taking over. So we've seen launches for companies like uh, Microsoft with HoloLens 2. And recently I was at an event with Qualcomm where they launched their next uh, XR, extended reality platform. And in B2B, because I know you mentioned that earlier, the ability to bring up data in an immersive environment in a headset where you could potentially manipulate a product or change a document or change a write on a whiteboard, you know, environment where people are concurrently um, in the same space, so like, you know, spatial computing. That's going to be a really interesting immersion. And, of course, we'll see that infiltrate into our personal lives. So uh, if you've ever done some of the, the you know, the clothiers online where uh, you can do augmented reality now where you take a picture of yourself, right, and the uh, AI inside the application can actually size you to be able to give you a perfect fitting outfit. Um, we've seen Nike over the years do augmented reality for shoes where you can in real time design a custom shoe for yourself and see what it's going to look like before you buy it. So we're starting to see brands are finding ways to add immersion and connect us deeply into personalized experiences, both from a business level where, like I said, you're seeing these collaborative boardrooms where you can put the best talent around the world in a room together in a VR environment to immersion in a purchase of something personal like a, like a pair of shoes or an automobile where it's not just a, a design tool on a website anymore, but it is literally being able to see the final product in real time and being participative in the process of, of, of building, designing, and procuring it. There's no doubt we're going to see a lot more developments in, in the immersion experience. Um, we did 
touch briefly on the question of, of trust earlier. Um, but one thing I noticed in the report, you, you talk about technologies like blockchain being used to, to build trust. But there's a couple mentioned which surprised me. Edge computing, um, you know, this environment where so much of, uh, of technology is pretty much owned by a few big cloud players. And there's also the Internet of Things. How, how are these going to help build digital trust? Well, I think digital trust is going to be built by companies that uh, invest and care about uh, user privacy and data. Um, I think there's a side of privacy and then there's a side of security. So I talked earlier, Kim, about um, people will trade data for experiences. And, uh, you know, nobody will ever complain about an experience that's too good, even if it meant a lot of data was given in the process. But part of good experience comes back to security. So as things, devices, edge, automobiles, uh, sensors, wearables, all are collecting our data, it's going to, there's going to become this impending continuum of digital trust. And there's going to be brands that are seen as trustworthy and brands that are seen as trust uh, and privacy invasive. And the goal for brands of the future are going to be to lean more on that trusted brand. And the, the trust is going to be a concurrence of a company's ability to secure its reputation for being good with customer data. And then, of course, the amount of value that the particular experience or application or enterprise provides to consumers. And the reason I, I weigh all three is, for instance, like a Facebook, which is notorious for being pretty invasive, ends up getting a little bit more of a pass on some of its bad behaviors because people see its experience as extremely good. Concurrently, if you're a data company um, like Equifax or, um, you know, one of the uh, various companies that are collecting consumer data for credit purposes and consumers don't necessarily care other than the fact that they expect their data to be secure, your, uh, <laughs> your trust vectors change, meaning that a single breach could be uh, the demise of a relationship between a consumer and that brand. So it's going to be weighed on experience. It's going to be weighed on that security platform. Uh, one of the data points that was super interesting was that uh, in the, in the report was that some 70% ish, I don't have the exact number in front of me of companies said that they would be, that the companies would be willing to sacrifice privacy and security of data in order to get time to market down or products to market faster. So you just listen to that kind of data point and you say there's going to be this huge trust bubble if companies continue to expedite new products, services to market at the expense of customer data. Uh, at some point, there will be no privacy. There will be no individuality. There will be no part in the world you can go where the machine doesn't know more about you than the people in your life. So the only thing we're going to have left is going to be, can we trust these companies? Can we invest? Can we trust Apple or Samsung with their devices? Can we trust our PCs, our PC makers to treat our data well, the cloud providers, the software enterprises, the applications that we work with? Um, can we trust them to not um, overstep to a point where it endangers or starts to actually minimize or reduce the quality of our experiences? This seems to me to be really important because it leads directly onto the next theme, which is loyalty. And I think the importance of loyalty is still perhaps a little underestimated. Um, 
in B2B as well as B2C, what it's about today is not just selling a product to a new customer and then waving goodbye to them. We're living more and more in a kind of subscription economy where people are are coming back to you again and again for experiences. And lifetime customer value is enormously important. And one thing you say in the report is we talk about loyalty companies, not just loyalty programs. Could you expand on that a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the there's a disconnect, right? So, you know, consumer want technology touch points to drive loyalty. Uh, they want... Uh, the ability to discover and purchase uh, experiences, uh, I'm sorry, a purchase experience to be simpler, more frictionless. Um, Brands are thinking about using technology in in the purest format, like, hey, if we can accept Bitcoin or if we have Apple Pay or do we have, and, you know, these are examples of the loyalty to the consumers we're we're enabling with new technology. The loyalty to the customer is we are really looking at how you engage in a buyer journey, and we're going to make it as frictionless as possible. Um, so we kind of felt that there was like a little bit of this this, this disconnect that's going on, um, you know, that companies are really focused on a transactional moment in loyalty. So a loyalty program is do you get your uh, status on an airline? Um, and it's usually very short-sighted and momentary, meaning what did you do for us in the last several months? But as a whole, right, say, you know, I fly American Airlines a lot, and say over 10 years I flew a million miles, but over six months I had a, a period of time I was, I was you know, uh, unable to travel. I was injured. I had an illness. Um, I had something personal in my life. And then all of a sudden you lose that loyalty. How could companies think about using data and understanding of a, a, the long tenure of a customer relationship and not just a technology moment that's going to be aggregating a very short-sighted view of a customer to make sure building loyalty over a lifetime with a customer. And so there's a lot of, like I said, these VIP programs, but those aren't necessarily what keep people loyal. And I think to a lot of extent, it frustrates people. It frustrates people that they can be a loyal customer for such a long period of time. And then for just a short period of time, the the business drops off and it's like you become um, irrelevant in just such a short period of time. So there's a lot of other nuance to it. But in my mind, as I was thinking about this, it's like um, as a traveler, Kim, someone myself who does 250 plus days a year on the road, um, my experiences are pretty good when I have the right uh, programs and in the right places, but it's so short-sighted that it doesn't even look at the fact of what is my lifetime value to these companies to treat me well and to understand my whole 360-degree value as a consumer and to make sure that the technologies aren't just minimal touch points, but they really are investments in our relationship going forward. Yeah, I'm sure we could all tell some very frustrating experiences when these things go wrong and uh, brands end up losing our business. But obviously that's uh, strongly related to data. And I think the last theme I want to touch on has a lot to do with data as well, because you're you're emphasizing what brands need to embrace in order to deliver these kinds of experiences is agility and automation. And you even say in the report, extreme automation. What does that mean? Well, I think it's about the, the depth by which, um, you know, automation 
the incorporation of, of deep learning, neural networks, AI, uh, augmented intelligence, robotic process automation um, can all be implemented into the place to make smoother and faster customer uh, engagement. So we're entering an era of almost zero latency um, uh, inference with auto, uh, artificial intelligence. So uh, in, in, in new iterations, we're seeing um, the recent launch of on-device AI that, that Qualcomm made that could actually do real-time translation between hundreds of languages. Wow. So that automation means no longer should there be gateways between a consumer and a brand, um, and that can be B2B or B2C, to be able to have barriers to communicate. With zero to the time to inference um, with extreme automation and AI, a customer should be able to talk to a chatbot or a virtual agent in real time and not get a canned response or some sort of algorithmic programming, but can literally use an AI model to get a contextual response um, and can this with multiple turns. And when I talk about multiple turn, talking about the ability for an AI chatbot to be able to engage in a multifaceted conversation that's not just one question, one answer, reset. And we're heading into that era. We're heading into an era where we can talk to the machine, the machine can understand, and it can contextualize uh, what we are looking for and trying to say, and that can be between a business and a business, between a business and a consumer, between employees, um, where we have deepened the capacity for, for these technologies to be used to reduce the time, space, and distance that uh, can be, you know, where we are in the world, what language we speak, uh, who we're talking to, what level of expertise that particular person had, to just say you can get what you need immediately because the technology, the data, the analytics, the tools, the compute are all at a level that uh, embrace this extreme automation uh, and AI to deliver the future of experiences. Uh, I've been writing about AI for, for a number of years now and can't emphasize how fast it's moving. These kinds of things you're talking about now, not just um, translation of, of simple phrases, but actually being able to put a conversation in context, something unthinkable just a few years ago. We, we've come a long way very fast. Yeah, we really have. Uh, like I said, I study deeply across the industry from the chip level to the software. Uh, there's some announcements, Kim, that have come up this week. Uh, there was a new NVIDIA, for instance, is one of the leaders on the, in the software and infrastructure side, and the company literally announced 300 uh, millisecond um, process time on wow. an inference. And so the, the point is you have a software stack that now application builders can utilize that can almost do real-time inference, deep inference on a inquiry to a chatbot. So we're getting to the point where, you know, no longer is it, like I said, just your programming, hey, if someone asks what our hours are, and you can figure that out five different ways, it can dive deep into a knowledge network, into a neural network, and look at an entire um, history of customer conversations and, and, and really try to process and, and infer uh, and give context back to a customer. And think of how much I could optimize a business to be able to provide customer service from anywhere in the world through a phone, through a microphone, through natural language processing. Um, and then, like I said, that translation is so powerful, too, because language has long been a barrier, even even dialect of a, of a single language. And as the technology keeps getting smarter, all the gaps uh, can be filled. And, of course, this is always scary to humans, but I just see it as an up-leveler for humans. I think 
humans have massive uh, empathic capabilities that are, are unachievable in the short term by machines, and that's where we will continue to differentiate ourselves, and the machines will continue to, to streamline, automate, and speed up the ability to do the, the mundane, everyday uh, interactions. That's amazing stuff. Daniel, 2030 will be here before we know it, so I'd like to officially invite you to join us again then to see if this all, all still makes sense and is valid. Um, hopefully I'll speak to you before then, but thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, Kim, it was a pleasure. I, I look forward to talking more about it. And, yeah, I'll be checking in, trust me, on myself uh, every <laughs> couple of years to say, how did we do? <laughs> okay. Thank you very much.